The Holy Gospel according to Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that belonged to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and nobody gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to, the, said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of, of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and he has been found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Be Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for the ability to gather here today to worship you. We give you thanks for your great love for us, your compassion, your forgiveness, your open heart to all. Be with us now. Open our hearts and minds to hear your word for us today. Amen. When I was growing up, we often had family gatherings on the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. We would gather together with our grandparents, aunts and uncles, and cousins. And sometimes we would meet at our house, and sometimes we'd eat meet at another family member's house. 
At dinner time, because there were so many people, we always had two tables, one for the grown-ups and one for the children. That table was known as the children's table. And all the children would sit together at this one table. And because our houses were fairly small, the children's table was usually in a separate room. So my sister and I, we were pretty much on our own at those family dinners, surrounded by cousins of varying ages. Well, this went on for a few years, and then one Easter dinner, I looked around the children's table, and I noticed that my older sister was missing. I looked at the place where she usually sat, and her place setting was missing. Her new chair was gone. I got up, and I looked all around, and I didn't see her anywhere, so I called her name, but she didn't answer. I boldly walked into the dining room where all the grown-ups were, and there she was. She was sitting at the grown-up table. I couldn't believe my eyes. She looked down at me smugly, and she said, go back to your own table. This table is for the grown-ups. Well, that did not sit well with me at all. After all, she was only a couple years older than me. I was hurt, angry, and frustrated all at the same time. Why was she considered good enough to move up in life, to make it to the big table? And I wasn't. I didn't like that one bit. I was really upset. In our gospel reading for today, there are a few other people who are upset too. It's the religious elite. They too are upset about who gets to eat with who and why. And the person they're upset with is Jesus. They've noticed that throughout his public ministry, Jesus has been eating with unacceptable people, people known as tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were Jewish men who collected taxes for the Romans, and they were well known for being dishonest and greedy. They were hated and looked down upon by most Jewish people because they were notorious for overcharging in order to increase their own profits. Sinners were people marked by immoral lives. They were the kind of people that respectable Jews stayed away from. And then Jesus came along and broke all the religious and social rules. He actually sat down and shared meals with both of these unacceptables. In that time and place, having a meal with someone meant that you were welcoming them into community. It meant you accepted them and thought of them as your equal. And that is what upset the religious elite. They wanted nothing to do with sinners. So Jesus told them a parable, a parable that emphasizes inclusion. It's a story that reminds the grumblers and us that God's great love is meant for all people, not just a select few. It's a story that, in a way, it illustrates the great expanse, the wide, wide circle of God's compassionate love. This story reminds us that we're all part of a greater family, the family of God. As you heard when I read the parable, the story is about a loving father and his two very different sons. And let's face it, this family's got a lot of problems. A lot going on there. For one thing, they don't know how to live together. Either that or they just don't want to. Both sons in this story deliberately disconnect themselves from their family, and in the process, they get lost, each in their own way. The younger son moves to another country and becomes lost to an indulgent, excessive lifestyle. And when he returns home, broke and starving, the older brother just stays outside. He stays away from the family. 
He is so full of anger and resentment towards his brother and his father that he is lost in a sense of privilege and self-righteousness. The family in this parable is pretty small, just two sons and a father. But I think it can easily represent a much larger family, the family of God. The family of God is much larger because it includes all of humanity, and yet both families have a lot in common, especially when it comes to their problems. We too need to learn how to live together, and we too need to learn how to accept others as part of God's family. And even today, in this global world, we can become as disconnected from each other and as lost as the two sons in the story. Like the older brother, we too can get caught up in a sense of privilege and self-righteousness. And that can be so easy for any one of us to do who lives here. Our country is one of the richest, most modern, well-educated places in the world. So much so that we can easily begin to consider ourselves more civilized, more advanced, and even better than anyone else. And our view of who are and who are not considered part of God's family can become a pretty small circle. It can shrink from a large circle that includes all of humanity. It can shrink down to only those who are Christians. And then it can shrink to those who are Christians in our country. And then it can shrink to only Lutherans. And then it can shrink to the tiniest of all circles, to just the people in our church, those who are just like us. And that's when we become more likely to become emotionally and physically disconnected from others, such as people from another country, race, or religion. And this doesn't just happen in our country. It does, and it can happen all over the world. For many of us, it can be just all too easy to get lost in attitudes of privilege and self-righteousness. Or, like the youngest son, some people may lose their way more dramatically. And when that happens, they are often judged harshly by others and marginalized. Many are blamed for messing up or causing their own problems, which may or may not be true. In the story, the older brother blamed the younger brother for his problems. But to be fair, the story doesn't tell us what motivated the youngest son to demand his inheritance and leave his home for another country. As the firstborn male, the older brother had a higher status than the younger brother. He was born into a more privileged position. In fact, simply because he was the oldest, he would receive the majority of his father's estate for his inheritance. In all his status and power, he may have oppressed his younger brother to the point of actually driving him away. I mean, we don't know. The circumstances are not known. Today, there continues to be people who are blamed for causing problems for themselves and others. They, too, are judged harshly and excluded by others before all the facts are known. Like those whose religion or faith is misunderstood by some. They may be Muslim, Hindus, or, well, you could fill in the blank. Or it could be people with addictions or those who are homeless or even single parents. Others may be born into situations or circumstances that leave them vulnerable with difficult lives to live, like those born into poverty or those born with a disability. The economic injustice system may have oppressed their families for generations, and so they often end up with little education and no reliable income, and they're 
oftentimes just not even considered part of the circle. These are just some of the things that can get in the way of our ability to recognize each other as valued members of God's family. Mother Teresa understood this as the foundation of all the problems in the world. She says that all the world's problems stem from this one thing, our inability to remember that we belong to each other. Another father I know calls the answer to that problem kinship. His name is Greg Boyle, and he's a Jesuit priest and founder of Homeboy Industries, which is a gang intervention program in Los Angeles. Father Boyle suggests that one way we can begin recognizing kinship with others is to imagine a big circle of compassion and then imagine no one standing outside that circle. And that's something we're doing right here throughout Lent, as you know. We've been widening our understanding of just how big the circle of God's love and compassion can be. During worship, we've been doing that through music, art, and prayer. In his book, Tattoos of the Heart, Boyle links serving others with kinship. He says service is like a hallway that leads to a grand ballroom, and that grand ballroom is kinship. As you heard earlier with the blessing, in about one week, 19 people, young adults from our church with three adults, are all going to Puerto Rico to help those affected by Hurricane Maria. By serving the people there, they are moving toward kinship. But kinship is different than serving. Kinship is knowing someone intentionally, and our group will be doing that too. As they work side by side with Puerto Ricans, they will be building relationships with them. And they will be learning how rewarding it is to live and learn with those who are not just like them. In a sense, they will be walking through the hallway of service and entering the grand ballroom of kinship. Here at Holy Spirit, we are cultivating kinship in so many ways, not only through the international trips that Danielle organizes and leads, but also through the many community and interfaith dinners that we host or attend throughout the year. Here in this place, we emphasize that all are welcome, all are part of the circle. And as we cultivate kinship, we are learning to live together. We're learning to value relationship, our kinship with people who are not just like us. The parable that Jesus told that day is left open-ended. We don't know if this little family will ever be able to learn to live together. In the end, we don't know if the younger son will settle down and be happy now. Yes, he did come home, but only because he was pretty much forced to. And we don't know if the older son's anger and resentment will subside or if he will ever accept his younger brother as a beloved and valued member of the family. We don't know what the boys will do in the future. But we do know what the father will do. At the end of the story, there's no doubt in our minds that the father will continue to love his sons. The father's love is a sure thing. And when Jesus finishes telling his parable, there's no doubt in our minds that he will continue to welcome sinners and tax collectors to his table, which he does do, even to this day, right here at this very table every Sunday. Christ is present in the bread and in the wine. Here at this table, Jesus continues to welcome all because his love is a sure thing.
that Easter day so long ago when I was so angry at my sister for sitting at the grown-up table? Well, I must have looked pretty sad because my father, who was sitting at the head of the table, looked down at me and he said, would you like to sit with me? You can eat with me if you want. And then he reached down and picked me up and plopped me on his lap. I looked up at him gratefully and then I glanced down at his plate. I plucked a black olive off his side dish and stuck it on my pinky finger. And then I popped it in my mouth. After all, we were celebrating, weren't we? Amen. <laughs>